Uh, all right. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you this evening for your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity we have to close out a Lord's Day, a day that you've given us to worship you, a day that you've given us to, to pause and reflect on the past week and prepare for this coming week. And so, Father, we ask that you'd open our hearts and make us receptive to the word this evening. We thank you for the record of the crossing of the Red Sea. <clears throat> we pray that you would illuminate our hearts and minds to, to the truth of what's contained here. And there's so many applications, so help us to um, apply those this evening and throughout our lives. We ask that you'd about be with the children, likewise be with our youth tonight as they're studying the word. The ones that have been brought to our attention and others, we ask, Lord, that you would abide and be with them, restore them according to your will, meet their needs not only physically but also spiritually. And for what's accomplished, we'll not forget to thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we're in chapter 14. And I want to read this evening. We covered this last Sunday night, but just to... <coughs> To bring us up to date, verses 13 and 14, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord which he accomplished for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight uh, for you and you shall hold your peace. So, <clears throat> again, here's a man that really doesn't know what the Lord's going to do, but he is uh, an example to the, no doubt, around a million or so individuals that are uh, prepared. Or now their back's against the wall, mountain ranges on one side, and, of course, uh, the Egyptians that are closing in uh, on them. I uh, mentioned to you last Sunday evening, he says, stand still, and that is, that's vitally important. One of the things that we have... Uh, difficulty doing, especially in, as Americans, is just being still. We, we think sometimes that <clears throat> that resting or, or meditating or anything such as that is, uh, that's for lazy people. We need to be active. Well, we're going to see that here is a time Moses was praying, which is good. He was standing still. He was praying, but also we're going we're gonna to see here in, in short order that, uh, <clears throat> well, actually, look if you would at uh, <clears throat> verse 16. He says, uh, the Lord tells Moses, lift up your rod. Okay, you've prayed enough. Uh, continue to pray, but trust me. Now, Moses, you need to be a man of action. So there's a preparation for action, and then there's action that we see. And of course Moses says that, tells the Hebrew children that uh, they're going to see the salvation of the Lord. And the word here is not that, uh, not the word that we, we, we've uh, spent quite a bit, a bit of time over the past few weeks looking at being at home, going back home. This is the word which generally means uh, uh, victory. So he, the Lord is uh, instructing Moses and Moses is likewise uh, teaching the, uh, the Hebrew children. Next slide. Now, the next three slides <clears throat> are the ones that we uh, presented to you last uh, Sunday evening. And there are a number of uh, passages or a number of uh, 
tribal paths, if you would, that could potentially lead to uh, the crossing of the Red Sea. Now, this entire area from here around the uh, Sinai Peninsula up uh, west of Arabia is the Red Sea. So it's, uh, it's quite large, and there were some thoughts that for years the thought was that, w that the crossing took place here across a lake, but the Bible consistently said it was the Red Sea. So that has generally been uh, discounted. There, <clears throat> there's a path that comes uh, south and then cuts east across the uh, desert area. It, it has some credence, but the problem there is that they are direct, going directly across the, the hottest region and the most barren region of the Sinai Desert. So that, it could have occurred, but in all probability from what we know today as we look back on it, from the, when they left the land of Goshen and they traveled down to Succoth, which is mentioned there in chapter 13, and also uh, down on to um, Pi-Hiroth and the Straits of Tehran, uh, uh, the Wilderness of Sur, all of these, these are uh, uh, ancient maps, so the designations of the villages and the mountains and so forth have changed over the years. So to try to narrow it down, and basically what we're doing is speculating. Now we think that's based on, uh, on an hypothesis, and an hypothesis is, a, is an educated guess, but it is a guess nonetheless. Next slide. <clears throat> so <clears throat> if you follow the timeline, uh, notice it says possible topography at the time of Moses. We're not exactly sure. There's, been, there's a lot of erosion uh, around deserts and particularly around Arabia because of sandstorms and the filling in of the area. The Suez Canal has to be dredged uh, about every six months because of the shifting sands. So, and that's today. <clears throat> so years ago, there was no uh, uh, modern means, obviously, to uh, clear the area. So, uh, so the thought is that, and there's a subsequent slide that I We'll see here in just a moment. But there are two areas that the Hebrew uh, children could have crossed. One is uh, uh, across the, uh, uh, his uh, uh, Baal Zephon, Mount Tiron, which is about 500 meters or about 1,500, 1,600 feet tall. So there's a wilderness mountain range that it, they have their backs up against. They, it took them only a few days to travel uh, 100 miles, 150 miles down the Sinai, uh, Sinai Peninsula. And of course, Pharaoh didn't start immediately. They had to be burials, and sometimes the burials were rapid, but because his son was involved as one that was, that, uh, whose life was taken, generally there was a, a great deal of uh, uh, pomp and circumstance that accompanied that. So it took them, no doubt, about a week for him to change his mind and to start to chase the Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew children. So this area would be the most narrow. This is about five kilometers around three miles. Next slide. This is one that is, uh, and this has to do with the tides. The Red Sea is a sea, and because of the 
structure coming off the Indian Ocean. They, there are tides that, uh, uh, that roll up the Gulf of Agaba and the Gulf of Sinai. So around day 17 to 25, they're encamped here, and all of this begins to take place. Now, there's another area. This is uh, the Mount Tiron. We just looked at that and, and Baal Zephon. This is called the Straits of Tiron, and it exists today. It has been dredged a number of times. <clears throat> so uh, they are there. It is estimated around eight days. And if they, they could have crossed here, which would have been about five kilometers, or depending on the tides, they could have crossed almost on this particular map directly north and east. This is about 16 kilometers, and you do the arithmetic there is about uh, 12 miles, okay? Uh, these, this is the, uh, the estimate of the depth of the sea. So one of, the, and one of the reasons they stop is because the sea is broader, regardless of whether they cross here or whether they cross here and wait on the tides and then make their way up into the wilderness of Shur. Uh, uh, as they would step off from a mountain range, almost immediately the land would slope to a depth of about 250 meters, again about 150 feet. So certainly deep enough, and we find out, of course, that Egyptian, the, the Pharaoh and his armies are drowned. So almost immediately they go from uh, sea level to uh, 150 feet or so, 250 meters. Uh, the topography of this particular strait is such that it then starts to rise. Uh, and then as you, you would fall down or you would walk down into a bowl, and then you would start up out of that bowl uh, to a depth of about 50 meters, and that is fairly consistent across this uh, 12 to 13 mile strait. So regardless of whether it was uh, six kilometers or regardless of whether it was, it was uh, 16 kilometers, uh, really doesn't matter one way or the other. The fact is that's what the scripture says, that this was going to take place, and indeed it did. Now the wilderness of, of Shur, and we're going to see that, it's going to be mentioned several times in, uh, uh, in the passage here. There was, they had passed through a wilderness that was called Shur, and they're going across this land, this, uh, this, this water, or through on dry ground. It's thought that many, many years prior to this, that the, the, this portion of the Red Sea, this portion of the Red Sea would have been enclosed, and the land would have been extremely, or the, the depth of the water would be extremely shallow. So anyway, those are the thoughts. We don't know precisely. Uh, the, the thing to remember is that it did take place wherever it took place. And that's the uh, importance of what we're reading in this passage of Scripture. Next slide, if you would, Tim. Thank you. So Moses has been praying, he's been comforting, comforting the people, and then the Lord tells him, hey, it's time for you to act. You have asked me to spare the people, I've told you I'm going to spare the people, and I am 
going to uh, spare the people. In fact, the Lord asked Moses, why, you, why do you cry to me? You have already made the petition. I have told you that I'm going to uh, save the people. I wouldn't have brought them out of Egypt for them to perish. So stand up, Moses, and start to move. And that's what we see in these passages uh, of Scripture. He had cried out to God in desperate prayer, no doubt. That was a good thing. But there's a time to pray, and there's a time to act. Always good to pray. But when the Lord lays something on our heart, he expects for us to act on what he's told us to do. Now, here's the other thing, too, that we forget so often. Sometimes it's against God's will to only pray. Now, don't misunderstand me. When all else fails, pray. Sometimes we only pray in a particular situation. So we're to pray, and then we are to prepare. And that's what Yahweh is, is uh, teaching Moses in this particular place. There was a time for action. The Lord had already answered his prayer. Spurgeon said in one of his sermons, and I think I've got a couple quotes here from Sir, uh, Spurgeon, there's a time for praying, but there's also a time for holy activity. Prayer is adapted for almost any season, yet not prayer alone, for there comes every now and then a time when even prayer must take a secondary place. We expect the Lord to answer prayer, <laughs> so if we expect him to answer prayer, act on the prayer. So another commentator, commentator said, there's something more to be done than to pray. We must not only crave God's help, but be forward in the course whereby to make way for God's help. I suppose millions of people have prayed for family, prayed for the Lord to save certain members of the family, and the Lord certainly is capable of doing that, However, often he uses the folks that are praying as a testimony for those that need salvation. So we pray and then we trust the Lord. We pray on the Lord's day. Those of you that teach, I know that you pray as you prepare, but there's a time you got to stand up and teach. There's a time you got to stand up and preach. There's a time you got to stand up and verse 16 the Lord says, lift up your rod. There's a time, Moses, to lift up your rod, and that time is now. Spurgeon also said, there's a favorite sin of which he has long been guilty, talking about an individual. He does not give it up, but he says that he will pray about it. Okay, I've got a special sin. It's a problem, and I'm going to pray about it. And God says to such a man, Wherefore do you cry, thou unto me? Give up the sin. <laughs> you prayed for it. Give up the sin. This is not a matter for you to pray about. It's a matter to repent. And often we'll pray and pray and pray and pray, and what the Lord is expecting of us is repentance. We kind of push it off, okay? And the man says, I was asking for repentance. And the Lord will answer him, ask if you will for repentance, but exercise it as well. So it's a good thing to pray for repentance. Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
It's also a good thing to repent. And that's what we see here. Moses had been praying, and now the Lord expects him to, to lead the Hebrew children through the dry bed of the Dead Sea. Next slide. Lift up your rod. Stretch out your hand. So very simple instructions. Um, there's no... Anyway, very, very simple, just a demonstration, connected to a mighty miracle. The greatest miracle that any of us will ever experience is not crossing the Red Sea, it's our salvation. And that happens when we simply believe what God says. The rod of Moses did not actually perform the miracle. Obviously, God performs the miracle. We don't save ourselves with what we do, but we receive God's salvation in repentance and belief, repentance and faith. So one of the commentators on this particular passage said, neither Moses nor his rod could be any effective instrument in a work which could be accomplished only by the omnipotence of God. There were estimated, as I've said this before, one to two million people. Moses, if there were, there were 250 meters of depth, there was probably a ledge or something. Maybe he's standing on the ledge holding up his rod. We, we don't know what happened. But one thing's for certain, a million to two million people could not have seen the one man. The thing here is not the man Moses. What's the miracle here is in the form of the God-man, what's taking place through Jesus Christ. So it was necessary that Moses should appear in order that he might have credit in the sight of the Israelites that gained for him notoriety, that gained for him a respect God expected the Hebrew children to respect Moses uh, and that they might see that God had chosen him to be the instrument of their deliverance. Now, this is just the beginning. This would happen later on as well, many times, in fact, as they uh, traverse the uh, uh, wilderness. <laughs> and then the Lord says, um, <clears throat> verse... Uh, 18, then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Remember, honor has to do with worship. And so what's going to take place is an opportunity. In fact, chapter 15 is a psalm of Moses which indicates that the Hebrew children worshiped after their deliverance. They'll know that I am the Lord uh, Yahweh was not finished answering Pharaoh's question of Exodus 5-2 where Pharaoh said, and, and who is the Lord? I'll not let you go. And who is this Lord that I should listen to him? And being a stubborn sinner, an extremely stubborn sinner, which all sinners are, um, the Lord used the parting of the Red Sea to speak to Israel, or to, to uh, speak to Egypt, rather, as much as he had used it to speak to Israel. 
So the Lord is still focusing on the testimony of himself before the Hebrew children. Turn with me to Ephesians 3. <clears throat> we'll close with this tonight. Hebrews chapter 3. I mean, excuse me, Ephesians 3. Gordon read a portion of this this morning in our Sunday school class. Um, in fact, he read the whole chapter uh, talking about uh, the mystery of uh, the grace of God, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of what was given to Paul to preach. <clears throat> but notice in this passage, if you would, to me, verse uh, 6, to me who am less than the least of all saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Remember we had, uh, and we'll be in First Peter in two or three weeks, go back there again, but Peter speaks of, and Paul speaks of many times, principalities and powers. Principalities and powers. This is um, the description of, um, of heavenly beings and also of demonic beings. So <clears throat> one of the things that's taking place, and even taking place here this evening, no doubt, is that you and I as believers can instruct in a way that we don't even realize angelic and sometimes demonic beings. Now, the demons have their fate sealed. They can never be saved. There's all sorts of theology around that. And the angels obviously have their fate sealed as well, the good guys, because they can never be lost. But nonetheless, they are ignorant now, they, the angels obviously live before the presence of God, but in many cases, they don't quite understand. They are highly intelligent beings, far more than we are. However, they perhaps don't understand the, the depth of God's love, his mercy and grace toward lost sinners. And so one of the privileges that you and I have, and one of the things that was demonstrated in the crossing of the Red Sea as the Lord opened, uh, caused it to part, and the Hebrew children to pass across, was that the Lord would protect his people at any cost. Now, the Lord did not protect Lucifer. The Lord did not protect any of those uh, angelic beings that followed Lucifer. He said, I'm sorry, guys, but you're out of here. Now, he does do something uh, very, very antithetical to what the angels had witnessed during creation in, uh, in the past, in the life of Adam and Eve, all the way through to Abraham, all the way through to the crossing of the Red Sea, all the way to February the 18th, 2024, right here in good old Lynchburg, Virginia, at Flat Creek Church. 
We forget this. So Paul says, he says, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in heavenly places according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know if you've given any thought to it at all, but can you imagine what the angels may have experienced at the death of God the Son? So those of us that are born again, we have opportunity in the way we live, the way we carry ourselves, our deportment, the character that God has given to us that he wants us to uphold because of Jesus Christ. There are multitudes, there are, far many, there are far more angels than there are people. There are multitudes of principalities and powers that are witness, that witness our lives, that we have a testimony to share with them. There were multitudes of principalities and powers that witnessed the crossing of the Red Sea in ways that you and I will not, we won't understand in this life, Perhaps we will in the life to come. We're not, we're not certain or sure. Wouldn't make any difference, really. We're there to worship the Lord. But if we have that opportunity, we perhaps can have a conversation with some of them and learn that, hey, I witnessed something in your life on earth, in your mortal life on earth, that taught me something about Jesus. One of the reasons the scripture says that we were made lower than the angels, but by Jesus' redemption, we have been raised above the angels. What a remarkable, remarkable passage here in Ephesians 3 that teaches us about what occurred many, many years ago. When the Lord delivers us from a temptation or a crisis. It is as much a testimony to our invisible adversaries as it is to us. God uses our testimonies to tell our unseen enemies of his power and his ability to work in and through frail humanity. Raise up your rod, Moses, and stop praying and see the salvation of the Lord. Any comments or questions on what we've covered this evening? <clears throat> Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for this tremendous narrative, for the truth that's contained here. And Lord, we certainly do not know, can't, can't fathom in this life uh, what you may use of our feeble and mortal lives to teach others, especially the adversaries, about the purposes that you've installed in, uh, and have planned for us through Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray, Lord, as we depart this place, that you would make that real to us this evening. May we, from time to time, recall that and be prepared to speak a word in the defense of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. God bless you.